Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome back to the Bruised Banana FC podcast where today we haven't got the nicest results to be able to review, but we also do have a game at the weekend that we can talk about as well so we can move on from it hopefully uh, as quick as we can. So firstly, with the help of the Bruised Banana FC podcast superlative ejective generator, I can tell you that I am (laughs) the, the sourest Luke, which is very, very apt, and I am joined by the harshest Ben. Are you feeling harsh about that performance yesterday, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, I think I actually, I, I might be a bit harsh today. And it, it sort of pains me because I, I really like this team. But my God, that was that was one of those ones that you, you don't ever want to see again, really. Yeah, I think it's honestly a side of Arsenal that we haven't really seen in a while. But it almost kind of brings back a bit of <laughs> a bit of PTSD, doesn't it, of of past Arsenal's teams that we haven't really had that full trust in. And I think when it comes to new Arsenal, Arteta's Arsenal, this Arsenal that we hope is going to go on to challenge and hopefully win the biggest honours that there, that is available, we don't really uh, attribute to them these performances of, of nothingness, where it just felt like there was nothing there at all. So the first question for you, Ben, is in terms of this result because firstly we have to say Manchester City out of this competition and we were saying on the preview but like that in itself makes us potentially the favourites to win it or were the favourites to win it past tense so obviously this could be a, a, a competition that we could have on our mantelpiece you know, by the end of February so um, now that we've seen us go out in such unceremonious style and now that we can see that had we did win, we would have gone to Anfield twice in a week from playing Liverpool in the league and then what would have been the next round of the cup. Do you think this is a missed opportunity or do you think it's a bullet dodged? I firmly fall into the, the missed opportunity category. because I mean, I, I, I just think that if we're going to give up silverware like that, then we have to be so confident about winning the others. And we've been burnt by doing that before, you know? Um, And in fairness, I don't think we gave, I don't think we gave this up per se. We just rotated and the players weren't good enough. The players should have stepped up a lot of them, but I think one to 11, they probably had some of their worst performances in an Arsenal shirt. Um, Maybe there are a couple of exceptions, but I do think that it was, it was just woeful. It just feels, feel, it always feels to me like the Carabao Cup's one you can get out of the way by February, March, and it shouldn't really pay, to, like you, you shouldn't really pay too much attention. So we'd we'd have to go to Liverpool, sure. We'd have to go play at Anfield, and then we'd have two legs, I think, during the um, Premier League break, essentially, which is the two-legged semi-final if we made it past Liverpool. And then you got the final, so like everyone's saying, oh, it's great to be out of our, you know, off our calendar. Sure, but then the two games, other than the Liverpool game, they probably would have been games that we could have rotated pretty easily for. And it just feels like we missed a chance to 
wins from silverware that however minor it may be at the end of the day we're only ever competing for four competitions in a season five if you count the shield so every competition has its merit and it's pro- when you look at it it's probably the the competition that's keeping eric ten Hag in a job in manchester at the moment so <laughs> like you have to have that bank of silverware and i think arsenal need to uh, arsenal got us past the point where we're now plucky underdogs there's an expectation with this club that you now have to win things and this was probably the easiest opportunity we'd have to win things because manchester city aren't in it and we are the second best team in england you know liverpool are very good newcastle are very good but we proved last season we're the second best team in england so this was a glorious opportunity to sort of stamp stamp our authority on this season like if we have a trophy by february that that brings everything else to play as well everyone is you know enjoying the fact we've won a trophy the fans are on side the players are on side i don't see how where it goes wrong like if you if you win that trophy in february it probably kickstarts the back end of your season which is where everyone says we struggled you know we'll say everyone says where for the last two seasons we have struggled so i i think that it was a real missed opportunity last night i would completely agree i just think that this is similar to what you're saying like we're at a point now where trophies have become almost like, like people are starving for trophies because man city tends to win so many of them like We've had a fantastic history in the FA Cup and we could win the FA Cup this season. That is entirely possible. Um, hopefully we can go find the Premier League as well. But there's, I feel like like you you refer to us as plucky underdogs. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like in the sense of like last season, the Arsenal that was fighting at the start of the season for top four, the Arsenal that beforehand, you know, we're still trying to convince people. We're still not at that kind of elite level. I think last season, the Ars- that Arsenal can say, okay, this trophy's getting away of what's really important. If we kind of lose here, it's not the worst thing in the world. If we go out of that competition, it's not the worst thing in the world. But realistically, last season finished in the top four and it was fantastic. But when we went out of the League Cup, I mean, we went out of the Europa League. As much as these aren't fantastic trophies to win, we went out of them with the ambition to win the Premier League. And that didn't happen. And a lot of managers, and you know, I reference Poch at, when he was at Spurs, where it looked like he had at points good opportunities to win trophies that he threw away for the hope of winning either the Champions League and the Premier League. And because of that, he's got nothing, essentially. Like, like for all he achieved at Spurs, he's got no trophies to speak about. And, and that is a constant kind of source of pain to Spurs. So whilst I can understand that there are you know a few little positives you know like the fact that Liverpool have to rotate a bit more for that league fixture is nice the fact that we have a bit more of a break at certain points will surely be an advantage at some point down the line but when it comes to elite sport and trying to be an elite team in England as you said very very rightly last season proved to be the second best team in England at one point you have to act like it in the sense that you have to say we want to win every competition and we're going to prioritize every competition as much as we can for that and that isn't necessarily me saying that we should have rotated less perhaps the lineup wasn't wasn't brilliant in itself but we should like I understand that rotation does have to happen and you know you saw Newcastle who will talk a bit more about the game of the weekend spurring on they rotated a lot against Manchester United and we're still able to get the job done at Old Trafford 
as much as disarray as Manchester United are in, that is still a really, really good setup for them. So you have to ask questions about the players we put out. Why weren't they able to create anything against West Ham? Why weren't we able to, to like when we won the down at half time and they hadn't even had a shot at that point, why did we come out in the second half and give the ball away straight away for them to kind of get in on goal? So I think there's, there's a lot of questions to be asked about that performance. I think that losing happens and going out of competitions happens. Like, you know, like we saw Man City go out of the, the League Cup in the last round to Newcastle. Sometimes it happens, but I think there is a way to lose. And that, in my opinion, was a pretty disgraceful way to lose. Yeah, but also, I just, I think I would have understood if the if the issue had been we didn't have enough attacking players on the pitch. And therefore, oh, that was definitely you know, not the issue, eh? we didn't we didn't create anything. But if anything, you looked at the lineup, and I don't know about you, but my first reaction was, "Oh, that might get cut through a bit easily," like mm-hmm. with Havertz and Vieira in the midfield. But but I thought, oh, you know, we might lose. You know, we, I thought to be fair, I thought we'd win. But I was like, oh, it might be a high scoring affair. You know, it might be like a th- a three one to Arsenal or a four four two or something. I thought that it would be kind of like a basket match. We create loads. We didn't create anything. Like there was no there was no penetration from Arsenal like on the wings, there was nothing through the middle. It just felt like we got the ball, didn't know what to do with it, pissed about with it until we lost it, and then they you know, they scored three goals that admittedly you can quibble I mean, I'm sure you'll come to it, but you can quibble about the first one and third one's a deflection and whatnot. But it just felt like we just sort of waited for them to to do something. Like we weren't proactive in that game, it didn't I didn't think. And that's we've been proactive no. all season, and it was just a real shock because it was the complete opposite of what we're used to seeing under Arteta. Yeah, there was definitely a lack of what I can't really describe as physical balance. I think in in that team, where I think that you see that midfield like Havertz, Jorginho, uh, Fabio Vieira are all good players in certain sense, but there's no player that's really able to cover ground. There's not really a, a proper engine in that midfield. And then obviously you've got Zinchenko kind of coming into that area as well in, instead of playing Tomiyasu there, which maybe would have worked better on, on the nights when he, if he did start. But I think the, the duels were the big problem when they were. It just felt like any 50-50 was won by West Ham. And when we did get the ball down, there's just it's too many players that are looking to be on the end of things rather than actually create things like... Fabio Vieira seems to only really come alive in that final third of the pitch that we weren't really able to to get to with any real space. You have Havertz, who you know he's you know he's very quickly um, coming away from that that jury's out thing, where at this point in time we have to you know have it on the nose where that Havertz isn't doing the job that we brought him in to do, and obviously. Football can change very, very fast. Hopefully, his performances do change very, very fast. But at this point in time, I struggle to kind of see what he's giving to the team. And then it just felt like Jorginho, just slow at times on the ball, quite laborious to get back. He's trying hard and he's very like smart, industrious player in certain ways. But if you haven't got a rice next to him or a party next to him or just someone that can cover that ground, then... Then I, I, it doesn't surprise me that they kind of walked all over us. If I'm being honest, and I think when that happens and the attacking players aren't switched on, because I think that you'd struggle to give any of those 
any of those taking players more than a, than a five or six out of ten, then you know it kind of it is is the problems that they, those are the big problems. But obviously, it also doesn't help us that. And I don't want to use this as an excuse because I think that regardless of whether or not this goal goes in, we probably lose this game quite comprehensively. But I do think it's worth picking out that the first goal, the own goal by Ben White, the one that comes in from a corner. And um, I know there's no VAR. I think I've heard someone's like Sky Sports saying there's no VAR um, in the League Cup. And I don't know if that's somehow related to the fact that there's possibly uh, lower league teams in the League Cup. And if it's one of those, if not everyone can have VAR, then maybe no one can have VAR. But it does feel to me like, you know, <laughs> Soychek is a full hand of Ramsdale's shirt. And maybe Ramsdale gets there, maybe he doesn't. But the the chance to get there has been completely taken away by Soychek. So, boy, the next thing to come to you with, Ben, is I know that I'm not expecting you to say that it's possibly, you know, going to change the fact that we played really, really terribly. But what we did, did that annoy you? Like, did, like in, in terms of, of the fact that last season we saw an amazing Trossard goal cancelled out for the fact that Ben White had his hand on top of a keeper's glove, that, that to me feels like quite egregious. Uh, we've we've been here before, haven't we? Even with VAR, we had the, Too many times. the Brentford one. Do you remember the 2-0 loss where I think it was Ramsdale? No, it wasn't Ramsdale in goal. It must have been Leno in goal. Um, right at the start of that season where we had a goalkeeper incident. We had um, the Douglas Louise goal against, uh, for Villa. Do you remember that one? Ramsdale oh, being held. Oh, the corner. Was it free yeah, kick or a corner? Yeah, no, it was a corner. Um, we, we, I, I don't even think with VAR we would have got that, but it is just, it frustrates because maybe Arsenal don't do it enough from corners, but it does always feel like if goals go in like that, then we look at it and there's a, I mean, it's a pretty clear infringement. Like, I reckon even the Arsenal away fans that were six kilometres away from the ground, you know, sitting in the away end were could see it. So I just, I don't understand how the refs missed it, but I don't know if it would have changed the, because the, the performance was tepid. That's the problem. Like, we can say West, yeah. Ham, West Ham didn't have a shot in the first half, but it's not like we were battering them and, you know, were unlucky not to have anything to show for it. We were controlling the game, sure, but we were controlling the game against a side that play mostly in transition anyway. So it wasn't, you know, we were always going to have that issue. And we didn't have the the raw athletes, I suppose, in place to to um, mitigate the transition. You know, we missed Saliba, we missed Rice um, in midfield, especially, I think. But it just, it, it never felt like we got a strong enough foothold in the game. And it's been, a, it's been a theme with Arsenal this season already. Like, we don't start games quickly. I was, I was watching <laughs> a, a TIFO video that was saying, you know, we're, X amount down on how many goals we scored at the start of the first start of the games last season, and it does it is reflected in the stats. But it does feel like we used to come out of the blocks so quickly. Like, do you remember at Anfield when we were turning up really quickly and we scored that yeah. goal really early? Like, it doesn't feel like we do that anymore. And maybe that's because teams have more respect for us. But it also feels like we don't have the urgency to go and take the initiative and score the goal straight away. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but like it does. There's there's been a clear drop off in that regard, hasn't there? Yeah, I think honestly, like in in our attacking play, there's definitely been something of a waning balance, hasn't there? Where we've and, and I don't want to pin this exclusively on Havertz, but Havertz has been brought in to fill a certain role and evolve that role to better than 
what a very high performing Jack was doing last season and it's not transpired that way. And since then we've had Fabio Vieira played there with on and off success. We've seen Declan Rice kind of go there and with kind of party injured, it takes like that option a little less appealing. And also, you know, in the last game we saw him as a throw there. So we've we've tried <laughs> options there, but it feels to me like none of those are doing what I would personally imagine we wanted Havertz to come in and do, which is make those runs into the box, um, take up the, or use the space that people like Gabby Jesus is, are going to uh, take away from people, um, score a lot more goals from the area. But we haven't seen any goals from the area, like other than, you know, Fabio, uh, Fabio Vera scored his penalty. Other than that, you know, has anyone that's played in that area at that point scored a goal? I mean, I'm not expecting you to have uh, that that stat of fans, uh, but I can't kind no. of think of any. Um, well, I suppose I suppose Declan Rice scored against United. That would be. He, I think he was playing in that left eight that game. I might be wrong. I feel like Maybe. it was Party at six and Rice at eight. Um, but I, no, I completely agree with your point, and it does feel like we're missing Granit Xhaka a lot more than I think a lot of people thought we would. And a lot, like by the end of the season, a lot of people have come to terms with the fact that Granit Xhaka was a very good footballer. But it felt like defensively we could do without him almost. And if we got a more offensive-minded player, we'd be better. And that could still be true. Mm-hmm. Like Kai Havertz could still come good. And it may be just the fact that it's Kai Havertz there and not whoever anyone else wanted. You know, Mohamed Kudus or who again was just good last night. But it does. Yeah, I was going to say it feels like we're missing a lot of central progression. Like, there's no one to knit the play together. And it doesn't help that Erdegaard's now playing deeper and having a worse season and all that, but it does feel like Arsenal are regressing. I don't know, I don't know mm-hmm. what you think, and I'm not expecting a, a single factor because I'm sure it's, you know, multifaceted, but it does feel like Arsenal are getting worse at scoring goals, even though we're, you know, we're winning games 1-0 or 2-1 or whatever. But it does feel like we're we're getting worse at creating chances and scoring goals. Yeah, I think that. I mean, it's impossible to say that we aren't because we've definitely taken a step back in that regard. And I don't know if rotation, as a, as I'm in the saying that, in the sense that we've used a lot more players at this point of this season than we had used at I think at this point of last season. We're maybe trying to incorporate some ideas that haven't haven't become fruitful at this point in time. So we're having to pivot away from that. Whereas last do, season, do it you, felt like we were red hot so early. But I think this is I, part, of the, part of the struggle yeah. as well, because people mm. don't see what ideas we're trying to incorporate. Yeah, I think that, I mean, essentially that is it, like, isn't it? Is that if Havertz has been signed to be someone that is going to make runs into the box and affect the game um, in, in, in among other things that way, then when you have... Fabio Vieira there, who doesn't play like that, then that is going to affect that. And also, I think that when you haven't got uh, Gabriel Jesus there, because Eddie Nketiah is obviously a completely different player, Gabriel Jesus, the way he kind of opens up that space, almost makes it a lot more feasible for those runs to happen. Whereas Nketiah and Vieira probably work better together. I remember um, hearing people uh, talking about the fact that it could be a case of like a partnership thing where Vieira and Ketia played together and Havertz and Jesus played together. But I just think that we're struggling to find that balance 
really, really struggling to find that balance. We we're just not creating the chances that we did last season. And maybe we have to, amidst a very harsh fixture list, find the more settled eleven and try and let them build a bit more chemistry between them because mm. I don't know if the chopping and changing is really doing us any help yeah. at this and point to, in time to, to be fair, we haven't been helped with injuries. I mean, we can... I mean, we're not saying, like, injuries are a major... Well, they are a major issue, but, like, relative to other clubs, we've been okay, but we've lost Jesus for a large part of this season. Party, who, are, to be honest, most of us probably expected wouldn't play the whole season because he's got cheese strings for legs. Um, <laughs> we've lost Timber, which Timber. is obviously a massive blow. Yeah. I think that is actually a much bigger blow than maybe we anticipated it being. Like, if if you said we lost one of our summer signings for for the season, at the start of the season, it would be, uh, okay, it's bad, but it's not bad, bad. But with Jinchenko's form, which has you know, dropped off a cliff, I think, um, defensively at least, I just think that we have so much less flexibility with our side, which is the whole point. The whole point of the summer was to bring in more flexibility, right? More options. But mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like we have the right players to play all the options. And yeah. I think as I still, I still, I said, I said before the game, I still think we're a central midfielder short. Um, and maybe rice, rice at left eight party at six was the plan, but obviously relying on party is, I mean, that's a, that's a fool's errand anyway, because he's never fit for when you, you know, he's got a very patchy injury record at Arsenal and it tends to be big stretches of the season where we lose him. And big games, you know. So if that was the plan, then you know that's a massive flaw. But it does just feel like we're <laughs> we're a granite jack short. Yeah, I've, honestly, I've I was gonna um uh, like I've got, actually got it written down here in my notes that it just feels like maybe not even in terms of position, but in terms of influence and versatility and just being able to kind of adapt to the game, it does feel like there's a a big granite japer granite japer granite jacker shaped hole in this arsenal team and i think i think that will continue until we find a way around him and you know it's a it feels like a bit of a be careful what you wish for moment because it, it felt like jacker has been attempted to be exodus from this arsenal team many many times by many many fans and that's not to say that i wouldn't agree with the idea that we cannot could have upgraded on Jacker at numerous times. My criticism with that ideology always came with the fact that I feel like it was harder to do than a lot of people made out to do. To, to upgrade on Jacker, you have to bring in a very high quality, high level player, in my opinion. And I think we're seeing now not just on his ability, but just you know, I don't know. Just he was so consistent last season, and he was like a 7 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 pretty much every game and he was fit all the time which is something that really goes under the radar with Xhaka. He's just pretty much he's, he's almost kind of like a freak. Yeah. So well, yeah, I that, do think that's the case. He had the injury where he's back in about 3 weeks or like 6 weeks or something <laughs> when he should have been out for a <laughs> yeah. significantly longer. Remember there was that vi- there was a video of circulating him back on a bike after like 2 weeks and you were like sorry. How has this happened? Like he was Granite Xhaka was a, was a lot of things at Arsenal, but he was always, as you say, he was consistent, and he was consistent most for the most part. He was consistently solid, and as you say, I think we could upgrade him in both boxes. But I do think that we're missing a lot of what he did, sort of in the middle of the pitch, 
that we haven't for one reason or another been able to figure out um in his absence and part of that might be because we bought the wrong type of player like Havertz was never going to replace Jacka really so, mm-hmm. so, like I always feel like Havertz and Jacka are very different players um so I think that there was always going to be a bit of a, a nostalgia but we haven't been able to cover up what Havertz lacks on Jacka and we haven't been able to maximize what Jacka holds over uh, sorry what Havertz holds over Jacka if that makes sense yeah exactly that I think exactly that and b- before we come away from the West Ham game and I press it for memory completely uh one thing we have to look at is you know we we talk about rotation and there is one player that isn't going to get rotated um it will always be rotated in for the Newcastle game and as um Aaron Ramsdale who came in for his lot is his only game since the last tie in the League Cup and I think that me the among that run he hasn't played like like he's played or not played five um of the last six uh, Premier League games. Now, yesterday West Ham and XG isn't everything, but they created zero point four five XG, and obviously one of those goals is Ben White, so you can kind of take away one of them. But there's kind of two goals in there, and I'm interested to get your opinion on them because, uh, again, I'm not hundred percent sure he should save these. And I know the second one or the, the third one, technically, sorry, has um has a has a deflection on it, so. I'm not trying to be really harsh on Ramsdale for the goals, but I do think that top keepers potentially save these shots. And I think that where you'd hope that Ramsdale would come into this game and really kind of lay a marker down to to try and get back into a frame where, where obviously we've seen David Raya hasn't looked 100% assured. There is some weaknesses there. But as we said in the last podcast, for Rams to get in, he can't come in and just play well. He has to come in and show that he's evolved. He has to actually be better than he was like previously. Now, in his performance yesterday, did you see anything in that performance that would make you think that that he could be challenging Raya for this for that spot at this point in time? No, I mean, I think I think it's very harsh because I think that. Um, we've, we, I think we've seen time and time again with our our B team per se. Like we looked, we saw in the Europa League when we were in that. It doesn't matter. You could stick Eddie and Ketia in our B team, and he could score a hat trick for for the first team or like the the first eleven against Sheffield United and look terrible on Thursday nights. And he did look pretty terrible, and then was fine for big games last season. But I just think, although the, the third goal especially. Where it takes a deflection, it just looks like he goes goes for it all wrong. Um, Frantic, in it? Yeah, it's kind of like I don't know how to explain it. And as you say, I don't think he was better than Raya has been, even though Raya was shaky. I just think I'm looking. I'm looking at his stats now. He made one save, conceded three goals, um, made 19 out of 26 accurate passes, and one out of eight accurate long balls. But then he did make a really, really good save. Um, from was it Bowen really early in yeah, the second? Yeah, that half. was a really good save. That, that was, was a really, a really good, save. good save. Even though I was worried it was going in, but he still got hand to it, and it was a really good save in the end. But it, as you say, it just doesn't feel like he got he did enough to upset the apple cart. Like obviously, we're looking like I think a lot of people will be looking for reasons to to shit on Ramsdale now. Like he could have a like a perfectly normal game, and people say, "Oh, but he's." 
he's not as good as Raya or vice versa. We've we've created an atmosphere where everyone's going to be trying to point score, whether that's in the media, whether that's in, for Arsenal fans, and you know. It, as I think we said several times, I don't see it lasting and Ramsdale will probably be out the door in 12 months if and when he seems to lose this battle. But um, I don't think he did anything to suggest that he should be starting ahead of Raya. It's whether Raya does anything to suggest that he should be starting ahead of Ramsdale, if that makes sense. If, you know, if Raya keeps making mistakes, mm-hmm. we might not have a choice, but it seems pretty set in stone that Raya is going to be starting our Premier League and Champions League games. Yeah, that's the shame of it, isn't it? Is Is that obviously... As an Arsenal fan, I want the best keeper in that net. And all I really care about is that the best keepers in that net. But I will admit that I have like a like of Ramsdale. Do you know what I mean? Like like for, from a very dark Arsenal time to a very happier Arsenal time, Aaron Ramsdale was in the team and obviously he's got such a, a bright personality, great mentality about him. It's, it's impossible for an Arsenal fan not to like Aaron Ramsdale. And in my head, especially as like as an English guy, like I love the idea that Arsenal could have the the next England goalkeeper and he could be our number one for the next 10 years. But, you know, elite sport doesn't really work that way. And at this point in time, Arteta obviously doesn't have as much trust in, in Aaron Ramsdale because if he did, he wouldn't have signed Raya for, for what will be £30 million. And, you know, the fact that Raya has come in and looked shaky and and then Ramsdale gets this chance against Premier League opposition again, you're almost kind of willing him to have that performance. Like, just, just, and it's hard to evolve for as a goalkeeper when you're not playing first and foremost. So I do have like a lot of sympathy for him in that regard. But you're almost kind of hoping, show something that you didn't show before to at least put something on Arteta's mind to say, oh, Ramsdale, you know, he's he's getting something that for we sure. didn't see previously if Raya passes the ball out to, to one of the Newcastle players at the weekend, then maybe it puts something in Arteta's head. But yeah, as I say, I, I don't see it happening. But it does bring us very nicely onto Newcastle, who we are playing uh, this, this weekend. I think it's the, the evening uh, kickoff on, on Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, this is a Newcastle team that, has really picked up some pace over you know the last month or so. They've just beaten Manchester United 3-0 at Old Trafford. They beat Manchester City in the previous rounds. Uh, they've only lost once at home in the league this season, which was the the game against Liverpool, where Liverpool somehow went down to 10 men and a goal down and somehow still came back to win. Um, they've beaten Man City and PSG at home this season. Um, uh, but the, the point of the saving grace is that they are, looks like they're missing players like Alexander Isak, Sven Botman, Elliot Anderson, Jacob Murphy and Harvey Barnes all possibly injured. So we beat them last time we went to St. James's Park and it wasn't uh, probably a performance that we thought we'd have. It was a lot, a lot more gritty, a lot more determined and we had to work off very, very small margins. So firstly, just to ask you for what your mentality is on this, we've just gone from being Sheffield United 5-0 to losing very, very, almost embarrassingly 3-1 against West Ham. What is your mentality going into this game? Are you, are you hopeful? I'm expectant. Um, as in, in so much that I'm expecting the team to put a performance in, I can't I can't see a world in which, you know, Mikel Arteta's not gone in there and given them hell after the game. Or today, maybe. It. I don't think he's the sort of like. I don't think he'll necessarily care that he's out of the cup. Like he, Mikel, you know, Arteta's not particularly 
results driven like that's not his priority but that performance i think and the patterns of playing that i just don't think he'll have appreciated them at all like i don't i don't i don't see a world in which he hasn't gone in there and put a rocket up their ass essentially and though those players probably won't start the weekend you know some of them might probably see gabriel um probably see ben white you know the subs that came on will probably almost definitely start and Ketty will probably start um, and you might see Fabio Vieira or Kai Havertz or whatever. But I just, I think there'll be expectation among the fans and the coaching staff that we put in a much, much better performance. And if we lose, then so be it. But we lose because, despite having played well, not we lose because we've been cowed into submission like we were at St. James's Park two years ago. Yeah, okay. I, I, I could be agree if it makes sense. So let me, let me ask you this. So let's speculate that the lineup almost kind of, for the most part, writes itself at this point because Zinchenko started. So we're, we'll just assume that Tommy Asu is going to start a left back. Then we'll have Gabriel, Saliba, Ben White back four. Um, we'll say Declan Rice and Odegaard is going to come in in midfield. And then the front three will be uh, Martinelli, Inketia, and Saka. So that kind of leaves that one spot, that, that extra midfield spot. Now, Giorgino didn't have the best game against West Ham. Kai Havertz didn't have the best game against West Ham. Fabio Vieira didn't have the best game against West Ham. And as far as we know, Emil Smith-Rowe and Thomas Partey may not be available for this game. So what do you think is, firstly, the, the likely thing? What do you think Arteta will do? And, and does that differ from what you would do in terms of who you're going to pick to go there? I think... Um, I, I mean... In an ideal world, you say Thomas Party, right? Like you'd have yeah, Thomas yeah, Party and sure. Declan Rice at St James's Park. I think we'll probably see Fabio Vieira. That'll be my guess. Um, Interesting. I mean, I'm not opposed to Havertz in there. I just, I think Fabio Vieira is more sort of incisive. That being said, mm-hmm. with Newcastle at St James's Park, we might decide that we want someone who wins a lot of duels and put Kai Havertz in there, especially with Tommy Asu in there as well, then, you know, that, that side is not getting beaten in the air. I th- I think that to- Tommy Asu playing will require someone a bit more um, secure on the ball and probably go with Vieira. That would be my guess. But, so you mean um, like Declan Rice in the six? Yeah. I would, and Herdegaard and Vieira. Ahead yeah, of I'm very cautious I'd, I'd like to see Jorginho play there but I'm also very aware that he can't run and that Newcastle are probably going to have a midfield <laughs> kind, three kind of important for a football player <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, Newcastle will probably have a midfield three that consists of Bruno Gamares, Joe Willock and Sean Longstaff or whatever or Joe mm-hmm. Linton in there somewhere you know that's a very athletic driven midfield so I think that putting someone in there who can't run is a recipe for disaster almost especially I, I think especially in the first half I think you know if we're playing to football stereotypes the first 10 minutes 15 minutes will be taking the sting out of the crowd and slowing the game down mm-hmm. and you know just trying to go toe-to-toe and making sure that we win the duels and we're on top essentially Georgina in the second half might be great just taking the sting out of the game and carrying on just moving it around but I just think that for this game I'd probably start Fabio Vieira I don't know though I don't as I say, Mikel Arteta always surprises me. Um, <laughs> what, what, what do you think you'd do? Would you do the same? 
It's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think last time we went to St. James's Park, he made the point to play Jorginho. And he said that was under the geese of, we can't match them physically, so we're going to go a different route, which you'd speculate would be a more technical route, which is why Jorginho played. And to be fair, Jorginho had a really good game there. I don't think that is necessarily... That that would mean that he'd definitely have a good game this Saturday because, you know, Newcastle back then, even though that they show a lot of the same characteristics, it's not necessarily the same things for the same game. So I think I would maybe lean towards Havertz and it's in a, terms of like a dual winner. Though, it? it is a big call, especially because we haven't got Jesus up front and oh, yeah. Nketi is there. And we, you'll have to look at kind of the supply line to to Inketi because because Havertz isn't kind of going to get a lot of space to run beyond Inketia because Inketi is not really that type of foil. Um, uh, so I think in terms of partnerships, as we were saying before, it probably makes a bit more sense for Fabio Vieira to play with Inketia because Fabio Vieira is a bit more of like a final ball guy. Like we saw it against Fulham when uh, they're both on the pitch, like the yeah. the goal that they combined for. So I think as a partnership, they probably make a bit more sense. But you know. <laughs> it's hard to know because you know we we spoke about it earlier the the lack of balance we have when we're attacking and to create mm-hmm. so whenever i think of these these kind of sort of 11s i always think first and foremost how we're going to score goals and when all those players are on the pitch i still feel like we're a little bit reliant on Erdegaard, saka martinelli do you know what i mean like just them to have a bit of magic about them rather yeah. than systematically being able to kind of create chances and I think that is a problem. And, yeah, I think, I think and then, we've got square pegs in round holes in midfield at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like it, yeah. And we we haven't quite figured out how to either make the holes square to fit the pegs or make the pegs round to fit the holes. Um, it's just, it's a bit slot, sloppy is not really the word, but it, is, it feels a bit unfinished. Yeah. And, and it could change quickly. Yeah, of course it could. Football football changes quickly. Havertz could, you know, score twice ne- uh, at the weekend and spark an incredible turnaround of his form where he's suddenly back to the Kai Havertz that we saw at Leverkusen. I'd like him to have two shots, <laughs> let alone score two goals. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he could have a really good game and his confidence come back. He's clearly a player low on confidence. Um, mm. it, ju- it does just feel like we don't have the right, as, I say, as I've said several times, we don't have the right balance in midfield. The defence is fine. The attack's pretty fine. Um, if Jesus comes back, it's obviously the same attack front three that we had last season, which is excellent. And Ketty is a perfectly fine understudy. He's not Julian Alvarez, but, um, you know, that's we're not that sort of club at the moment. We weren't. So, I don't know. I, for me, I, I was looking at it yesterday and I was thinking, I can see a lot of transfer activity coming in the next couple of transfer windows I don't know about you but it just feels like we've done so much already and yet there'll still be play- lots of places where we are evolving because I look I saw you know yeah. obviously midfield is the key one because Thomas Partey will be 31 um, and have 12 months left on his contract, Jorginho will be out of contract Nenny will be out of contract so that'll be where I assume we'll spend big again but it, I don't know, it feels like we're probably an attacker light and we're probably a fullback light, although Timber might fix that. Sounds like Ramsdale's going to go. Um, we'll probably sign a right centre-back. It just feels like there's still a lot of places in this squad where you look and you go, 
well, we don't really have great cover there. Um, certainly not like for like cover, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a good um, <laughs> there's a good Swiss midfielder in the Bundesliga that I read earlier on has played the more passes than anyone else in the Bundesliga into the in the final third. Yeah, don't don't remind me. I saw that stat. <laughs> and it just you know, just... yeah. It's, it's good to have versatility, isn't it? Like, it's it's nice that we don't have all of the same type of player because you want to be able to pivot away from the ideal sometimes. But it, it, at the moment, it feels like we're struggling to kind of meet that entry level <laughs> bit of balance. Yeah, where it's nice that we have, in terms of that left mid, like centre midfield spot. Like if if like taking Rice away from the equations, let's say so. Like, um, uh, you got Emil Smith Rowe. Fabio Vieira, Kai Havertz, and they say we the the whole point of the season is to make that that position more attacking in some regards. To have those three players that are three very very different players, but still very talented players, feels like it's a it's a plus. But obviously, you know, sometimes three really good ingredients don't go into a certain recipe. You know, so sometimes, as you but said, then, um, on the flip you have side, to change the recipe. A Yorkshire pudding is only three ingredients, and they're very good. So. Yeah, but they you need know. gravy. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. My point still stands, though. You know, three very different ingredients <laughs> can go in and make something very nice. Yeah, no, I, also, get you, I get you. you know, come out with some horrible things. I can't even imagine. You know, don't want to think about <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I want to kind of come to something happy. Yeah, yeah. You want a Yorkshire pudding to come out at the end, really. Yeah. But it's just a concern about whether you've got the right ingredients in, I guess. I don't know. I'm waffling now. Waffling. Yorkshire puddings, waffles. So the next, I think the one thing I want to talk about before we kind of write, kind of sign off and whatnot is um, we kind of alluded earlier that, you know, Tommy Astor is probably going to play left back this season or this season um, up against Newcastle on Saturday. And this is a player that his form is really, really improved over the course of the last month, month and a half. It's really good to see him fit again. Today he won Arsenal Player of the Month after scoring his first goal for the club against Sheffield United. And uh, I don't know, I just I, I, I just love that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think that's such a uh, an amazing um, thing because he's such a popular player. It's always really cool when you see like such a popular player um, get to a position where you think, oh, they're playing well enough now that they're definitely going to start games. Like, like, have you got any any flowers to give to Tommy? He can have all the flowers, to be honest. I think I think he's been <laughs> excellent. Um, I think we really missed him last season. His versatility and his um, for sure his ability to sort of cover both flanks to a really high level. I don't know whether he would have been as good at stepping into midfield. That feels like something that he's really worked on over the summer. But certainly, as part of the defensive block, he's been excellent, and hopefully, he stays fit. Because if he stays fit, then I think he can nail down that left back spot for his own quite comfortably by the end of the season. Um, and yeah, I think I think he's I think he's a really re- he's another one of those players that's really really useful, um, but sort of a not not he wouldn't get into every starting 11 but he's a really really useful player where you go oh yeah and we've got Tommy Asu kicking about he can go in wherever you want him to like he'd probably play up front if you if you asked him to <laughs> so yeah it's just it's it's another one of those ingredients that we've got that we're just trying to work out a way to make the nicest thing with him maybe he's more of like a condiment which i mean like he's nice on a lot of stuff he's the gravy he's, he's oh he's the gravy <laughs> 
<laughs> We've come full circle in our go. potentially roast dinner analogy. The roast Maybe. dinner that is Arsenal's attacking balance. Maybe Tomiyasu is the gravy that we all need after all. That's very profound. And I think that is a really, really good place for us to leave it. So coming off a very, very poor result, but we can make amends at the weekend. A very, very tough away trip to St. James Park to play Newcastle on Saturday. We'll be back afterwards with a reaction pod. I am the slowest Luke, fair, and I've been joined by the sanest Ben. Thank you very much for joining me again, Ben, even to talk about not the best performance. It's all right. I've, you know, we've managed to turn it into something that is at least enjoyable, hopefully for listeners as much as for us two just waffling. Yeah, um, and I'm now hungry. Yeah, well, I was going to say, the sanest Ben now talking about gravy and roast dinners, so what do you know? <laughs> yeah, so exactly that. And thank you very much for listening this far, if you have. And as I say, please tune back in for a review of the Newcastle game, which we hope is a win that emulates more the Sheffield United game than the West Ham game. Thanks very much for listening and have a great day. Thanks very much. Up the Arsenal. Odegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the race, untouched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Oh,